Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with all of you singing praise to the Lord this morning. Uh, What a a blessing it's already been this summer as we've uh, worked through so many different aspects of our identity in Christ together. Uh, what, What a praise it's been to see who we are in Christ because of what he has done. Uh, last week we were able to see the, the beauty and reality of our adoption as sons and daughters of God the Father. Uh, in Romans 8 we saw that Paul notes our adoption by God through the Spirit in Christ. And being a Roman citizen, Paul would have been very familiar with the uh, customs of Roman adoption in that day, and speaking to the Romans, they too would have been quite familiar, Uh, but it was an extremely legal process of transferring sonship from one family to another family. Uh, The adoption ceremony took place with at least seven witnesses present. A legal formula began where actions were taken, specific words were said, and that would finalize the adoption process. The newly adopted son would undergo then a, a legal transformation as a result where the entirety of his old self was completely done away with and wiped clean. It was, for all intents and purposes, as if he had died and his new adopted family began his new life. His ties and responsibilities with his previous family were done away. He no longer had any claim to his prior family's inheritance. Any prior debts that he had were nullified. And conversely, he took on the new name of a new family, obtained all the rights and privileges of his new family, and lived the rest of his days accomplishing the will of his new father. Upon adoption, Unger's Bible Dictionary notes, the adopted one became, in the eyes of the law, a new creature. He was born again into a new family. So you can see why Paul uses this picture of adoption to describe the spiritual transformation that has taken place in those of us who believe. As we've seen in weeks past, we have died to our old self. Our old life is gone. We have been resurrected to new life and are now adopted into the family of God with all of the rights and privileges that that entails. Immediately following and connected to that declaration of our adoption in Romans 8, Paul continues to show the result of our adoption is that we are co-heirs with Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ, look at Romans 8.17. Romans 8.17 says this, And if, or more accurately, since children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. This is, this truth of our, our future inheritance in Christ is part of our motivation for daily living now. Colossians 3 calls us to set our mind on these future things of heaven which will guide and direct our present actions. You're familiar with Colossians 3. If then you have been raised up with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We have this this certain hope as believers that we are to cling to as new children adopted into the family of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have a certain inheritance stored up for us in heaven from our heavenly father. This morning, we're going to look at a variety of different passages and see four R's of our inheritance in Christ so that we can set our minds on our future inheritance. Four R's of our inheritance in Christ. As co-heirs with Christ, we have a definite future of resurrection, of reward, of reigning, and remaining. Let's look at these together. The first is resurrection in Christ. We have a certain hope of resurrection in Christ. And I know what you're thinking. Thinking, Tim, last time you got up and you talked about resurrection in Christ, are you just preaching the same sermons again? Listen, when you all start living them out, we'll move on to different sermons, all right? I'm just kidding. The resurrection we looked at two weeks ago was a spiritual resurrection where your old self was put to death in Christ and you were resurrected to new life, a new spiritual life in Christ to live out in this world. This future resurrection that we have to look forward to is a physical resurrection that we will all experience should the Lord delay in his return at the rapture. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 4. It says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So all who pass away on this earth as believers in Christ will experience a literal physical resurrection when Christ comes at the rapture. All believers will have their bodies resurrected from the dead and reunited with their spirit who was in the intermediate state with the Lord. So when you die, your spirit is instantly in the presence of of the Lord. We see this in a variety of passages. When Stephen is martyred in Acts 7, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus told the thief on the cross that he would be with him, with Christ, in paradise that day. Also, 2 Corinthians 5.8 explains that absence from the body is presence with the Lord. We will be with the Lord between our death and when Christ returns to rapture his church from the earth, we will meet Christ in the air and continually be with him from that point on. It is at that point that we will be united with our new imperishable bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 describes this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 
For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ will come at the rapture and, will, and the trumpets will resound. This trumpet that's described here in 1 Corinthians 15 is the same trumpet that we saw back in 1 Thessalonians 4 that will sound as the church is raptured to Christ. At that moment, we will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. We will put on imperishable, immortal bodies like Christ. This is just part of the heavenly hope that we have to look forward to inheriting because we are co-heirs of Christ. It is this reality of future bodily transformation that will finally take place which will align our physical self with the transformation that's already taken place in us on a spiritual level. We've already been transformed spiritually and this transformation that takes place will just be aligning our bodies to match our spiritual reality. It's this hope that we look forward to as co-heirs. It's because of that hope that Paul concludes 1 Corinthians 15 saying, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your toil is not in it that your toil is not in vain in the lord it says therefore because because we have that hope to look forward to be steadfast now it's our future hope as co-heirs of christ that ought to motivate us to remain steadfast in life to be immovable and abounding in god's work and we do that because our eyes are not fixed on the present physical reality. Our, our eyes are fixed on the future resurrection that we will enjoy in Christ. What's remarkable is this isn't a new idea that came along with Jesus and Paul. They didn't invent this. You see this back in the Old Testament as well as, as a driving hope for living life now, for your present life. Even as far back as Job, which is likely the earliest written portion of Scripture, Job 19 says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Job was looking forward to that day when he would be resurrected, even if his flesh was destroyed. Likewise, this resurrection for believers is prophesied in Isaiah Isaiah, talking about the coming kingdom of God in chapter 26, says, Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Daniel also prophesies of this. Daniel 12, he says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. We will be resurrected to new life, but what Daniel notes here is, is profound. It's profound because it's, it's not just resurrection from the dead, 
in and of itself that is so glorious. But it's the nature of our resurrection that we will be resurrected to live with the Lord in perfection. Yet those who are not co-heirs of Christ will also be resurrected, but their resurrection will be one of disgrace and everlasting contempt, Daniel says, as they're separated from the goodness and grace of God in their life. Instead of their resurrection being one of of glory, it will be one of unending terror as they face the wrath of God for rejecting him. And beloved, that's what makes the gospel so glorious. That's what makes it so amazing because it's only by his grace that we don't have that in store for us in the future. Rather, our future is one of a glorious resurrection where we will be made like Christ. The first R to help set our minds on our future inheritance is resurrection as co-heirs. The second is reward. Reward as co-heirs with Christ, we have great heavenly reward to look forward to. So much that we can't even plumb the depths of it. We're going to look at just a few of the heavenly rewards that we have coming to us in the future in Christ. And it's by no means exhaustive. It really can't be exhaustive. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All of them. It's wholly inconceivable for us to fully grasp all of the heavenly blessing and reward that we have coming to us in the future as co-heirs of Christ. All of the heavenly blessing that will be bestowed on Christ will also be granted to us because we are united with him and co-heirs with him. One commentator notes, as co-heirs with Christ, we share in everything that the true Son of God, Jesus Christ, inherits. In the arithmetic of earth, if each heir receives an equal share of an inheritance, each only gets a certain fraction of the whole amount. But heaven is not under such limits. And every adopted child of God will receive the full inheritance with the Son. It's impossible for us to fully extrapolate all of the heavenly reward we have as co-heirs, but I want to point out a few of them. First, you will be rewarded with a heavenly home. You'll be rewarded with a heavenly home. Jesus describes this in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. As Jesus is speaking more and more toward the end of his earthly ministry about his departure, how he was going to be leaving the disciples, they became understandably concerned about this. That was not the plan, Jesus. (laughs) He encourages them not to be troubled because of the certain inheritance for them of a heavenly home. Through their faith, believing God and thereby believing in Christ, we are promised an eternal inheritance of dwelling with God. This passage is often 
uh, mistakenly understood as a, a variety of mansions that will be provided for us. We're each going to get a mansion. Jesus is going to be like Oprah. You get a mansion. You get a mansion. The Father's house here refers to the, the presence and dwelling place of God. Since the Lord is spirit, he cannot be understood to be dwelling in a large house, right? The idea of mansions and riches being, being the glorious part of eternal life is a, a staggeringly selfish and Western prosperity mindset. Yeah, I'm going to get a big house. I'm going to drive a Lamborghini. The glorious part of eternal life is not where you are going to be living. It is with whom we are going to be living. The comfort that Jesus provides in this passage, remember, they're concerned because he's leaving. The, Jesus, the, the comfort he provides is, is not a big house with a lot of rooms. It's at the end of the passage where he says he's going to come and get his disciples so that they may be with him, so that wherever he is, they will be also. That's the glory of eternal life. Our heavenly home will be with the presence of our Lord. That's eternal reward. The niceness of our, our dwelling places, which I'm sure will be fantastic, are, are secondary at best. You can read all about where we'll be dwelling in the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 if you want to get a picture of that. In that chapter, regarding those places, Jesus says, he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. We have a heavenly home to look forward to in the presence of our Lord. Not only do we have a heavenly home in his presence, we will also be rewarded with a heavenly banquet. A heavenly banquet, look at Revelation 19, verses six through nine. John recounting what he's Seeing says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glo the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is just amazing. This is a small glimpse into the marriage banquet where the bride of Christ, the church, where we will be united with Christ, presented to him without spot or blemish or any such thing. Here we will celebrate the work of Christ in purifying us. We'll celebrate that. We'll shout for his glory. We'll praise him for purifying us and, and changing us so that we could accomplish good works here on earth to bring him glory in the life in now and in the life to come. Isaiah describes this banquet as well in Isaiah 25. He says, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all the peoples on this mountain, 
a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away, wipe tears away from all faces. He will remove the reproach from his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Jeff talked about rejoicing earlier today. Exactly what Isaiah is saying. As we look ahead, we have great reason to rejoice. I love this passage. Isaiah looking to this banquet. It's going to be such a glorious celebration because of what Christ has done. He will serve refined aged wine at this banquet and choice pieces with marrow. You know what that is? That's steak. That's a good meal. There will be such triumphant rejoicing and shouts of praise at this banquet that John noted in Revelation that it sounded like the the mighty reverberations of thunder that shakes you to the core. Beloved, can you imagine? Could you imagine the the rumble of of the walls in this building if we, uh, when we approach the King of Glory in song together each Sunday, we had our minds set on things like these? My heart breaks to look around so often and see as we are singing these awesome truths to our God, the uninspired, lifeless mouthing of the words. Just one more Sunday. We ought to be in awe of him. Often we have more thought on today's lunch rather than today's creator. We're going to have the opportunity to sing again later. I, my, my prayer is that we, we have this inheritance in our minds when we sing to the Lord later. And we shout for joy. We rejoice and praise him. We lift our voices to him. So much that the the surrounding neighborhoods hear us singing praises. On that day when we inherit a banquet as co-heirs with Christ, there will be no distraction in our minds from what's going on. There will be no fear of what others might think if we sing a little bit louder. There'll be no concern as to whether or not we hit the notes just right. No. (laughs) On that day, we're going to be so enamored with our Lord that we won't be able to contain the joy. We won't be able to contain the excitement. It's going to explode from us like thunder. Let these thoughts of a heavenly banquet be always on our mind. Let these thoughts of what we're going to inherit in the future be continually what we meditate on. We'll have a heavenly home, a heavenly banquet. We'll also have a heavenly prize. There will be particular reward granted to each of us 
corresponding to our faithfulness in this life. You see this in Revelation 22. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Unbelievers will ultimately face the great white throne of judgment, where they will be judged and punished based on their rejection of Christ and their evil deeds in this life. But believers will be taken to the Bema seat of Christ, where we will be judged according to our deeds as well. But ours, our judgment will be a judgment of reward based on our deeds of righteousness, our deeds of faithfulness. Our deeds of wickedness have been forgiven. The certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us has been taken away and has been nailed to the cross. So all that is left for believers is to be rewarded for the righteous deeds of faithfulness performed for the glory of God. This is seen also in 1 Corinthians 3. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which, has, which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show itself because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire, will, the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward. This illustration demonstrates the quality of a believer's works. There's a distinction made here with two sets of elements noted. There's gold, silver, and precious stones are in one category, and wood, hay, and straw in another. One grouping goes into a fire and comes out without being consumed, while the other was completely destroyed in a fire. Nothing comes out. You put both in together, the gold, silver, and precious stones are all that's going to come out. These groupings represent our deeds in life. Our deeds are either righteous deeds for the glory of God or evil, selfish works for our own glory. And when we stand before Christ, he will reveal our works in the same way that these elements are revealed by fire. Christ will discern and reveal to us the righteous and unrighteous deeds, and he will then reward us accordingly. Paul reiterates this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And we tend to wonder what magnificent prizes might await us. What is this reward that we have to look forward to? What might we get? Uh, I I don't think Jesus, um, like I said earlier, is going to be handing out new cars. I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe. I bet they're cool cars. Biblically, it seems that our reward will be something far more beneficial for us spiritually. 1 Corinthians 9.25 indicates that the reward for which we strive in this life in performing good deeds is an imperishable reward. There's much talk in Scripture about the various crowns that will be rewarded to those who are faithful. There's the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4. Paul says that he, he fought the good fight, he kept the faith, he finished the course and that this crown of righteousness was stored up for him in the future. 1 Thessalonians 2 talks about a crown of exaltation. This will be received at Jesus' coming. 1 Peter 5, there's an unfading crown of glory that's going to be granted to elders who serve faithfully. 
There's a crown of life in James 1 given to those who persevere under trials. And none of these crowns are physical crowns. There's not going to be like a table with crowns piled up and we all get to go find our name and grab our crowns. These are not physical crowns. In Greek, all of these are best understood as being genitives of apposition. In other words, you could read them like this. Crowns, uh, a crown which is righteousness. A crown which is exaltation. An unfading crown which is glory. A crown which is life. Those are the crowns. As co-heirs with Christ, we are to receive spiritual gifts, spiritual reward in accordance with our own righteousness. And beloved, we should be living in such a way that we will receive great reward. So Paul says back in 2 Corinthians, run in such a way that you may win. And some may feel it's selfish to be motivated by future heavenly reward for good deeds. But this is what Christ calls us to think about as well. He, he calls us to live today in such a way that we will gain for ourselves eternal reward in the future. Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do you store up those treasures in heaven? It's by living out the good deeds that you've been called by God to live out. When you are faithful and you live for his glory, this is how the Lord will reward you in heaven. And this is to provide motivation for us now, looking ahead to that future reward. And the profound reality of it is that as we set our minds on those heavenly things and look ahead and are striving to live according to God's will in our life, now we gain that reward in the future, but it's also what's best for our life now. We receive a heavenly home in the presence of our Lord, a heavenly banquet where we're finally united with Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb, or receive heavenly prizes in accord with our good deeds, this is where we are to set our minds. We are to think on things above. Tremendous promises of Scripture to be fulfilled in the future and should give us great hope, great reason for rejoicing today, great motivation for living in obedience today. As co-heirs with Christ, we inherit resurrection, reward, and we will also inherit a reign with Christ. We will reign with Christ. Look at 2 Timothy 2.12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We will rule with Christ. In the context there, Paul is talking about the faithfulness through persecution those who endure difficulties of, of temptation and persecution and live out those things faithfully will reign with Christ. Likewise, Revelation 2, 26 and 27, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the, potter are bro of the pot are broken 
to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. The authority he has received from his Father is going to be granted to us as well as co-heirs with Christ, and we will reign with him. That passage is written to the church of Thyatira. They were characterized by love, faith, service, perseverance, and growth in good deeds. However, they allowed false teaching to creep into the church. It said those who overcome, those who hold fast to the truth in spite of a world of false teaching, those will be granted authority over the nations. Authority over the nations. What does that mean? It's looking ahead to the millennial reign of Christ on the earth when the nations of all the earth will be brought to justice. Where Christ will judge the nations in righteousness. And he's saying, guess what? As a co-heir with Christ, you are going to be part of that. We will participate with Christ in the judgment of the nations. Similarly, Revelation 3.21, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my father's throne, with me on my throne, rather, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Since we are in Christ and co-heirs with Christ, we inherit his throne along with him to rule and to reign with him. Later in Revelation 5, those who have been bought by the blood of Christ are told that they will rule over the earth. 1 Corinthians 6 notes that believers will judge both the world and angels. Then in the very end, those who inherit the new heavens, earth, and Jerusalem are shown the glory of this new creation and will be granted to reign forever and ever. Revelation 22, verse 5. We will inherit an everlasting reign in God's kingdom along with Christ and the rest of the saints. All of this will take place in fulfillment of a prophecy in Daniel 7, verse 18. The saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom, the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. Now, the details of this we can't fully understand until it comes about. What will this reigning look like? What will it entail? What will we be doing forever and ever in our capacity of ruling and reigning? We don't fully yet know. We look ahead to that day when it will take place. We look ahead eagerly and expectantly when, when those who by faith remain faithful all of their days will be glorified in Christ and then granted this wonderful reality of reigning with him. Until then, we're called to live out our days on this earth following faithfully our Lord. Or to pray for his kingdom to come. Or to call for the, the lost to come to him. That they too might become heirs of Christ. And might not face that final day of judgment in the future with the rest of the nations. Now, the glories of the new heavens and earth are unimaginable. Coupled with the, the vastness and beauty of the new Jerusalem that will descend out of the heavens from God. It's mind-boggling. What does that even mean? It's going to be amazing. The greatest grace and mercy of God is that undeserving, rebellious sinners like you and me not only get to partake in that with him, 
dwell in it with him, enjoy it with him, give eternal praise to him. But beloved, we're granted the grace of being able to reign over it with him. That's amazing. All because we are co-heirs with Christ. We've seen the first three R's of our, our inheritance in Christ, resurrection, reward, reign, and finally, we will remain like Christ. We will remain like Christ. First John 3 says this, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. As co-heirs with Christ, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. We will see him, behold him. As we saw earlier with the resurrection, we will be transformed in a moment. And we will be like him. Think about that. Those are some of the most fantastic words in scripture that we have to look forward to. We will be like Christ. It's a whole world of glorious and wonderful truth about our future wrapped up in those five words, isn't there? How will we be like him? Well, first, we'll be like him physically. Right? That spiritual transformation has already taken place and we will be given an immortal, imperishable body like Christ. We will be like him physically. We are already like him spiritually. We already have the spirit dwelling within us. So we will be granted this new transformed body in the likeness of Christ. Meaning that there's no curse of sin left over. The body of death will finally be gone and the new body of life will be granted to us completely sin-free. It's referring to our glorification. We will obtain a body just like Christ's. Second, we're going to be like him immortally. We saw this earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at the, those verses on the screen. We're going to be raised imperishable. Uh, the perishable will put on the imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. As Christ is immortal and will never die again, so too when we are resurrected and see Christ face to face, we will be granted a new immortal body that will never perish. We will never fear or face the grave again. There will be no more grieving the loss of a loved one on the new earth because all who are co-heirs in Christ are co-heirs of immortality and we will remain like him. All of this is, a, is just fascinating. It's all going to occur as a final restoration of how creation would have played out if, if humanity had not fallen into sin. Had Adam and Eve remained on in the Garden of Eden without sin, they would have eaten from the Tree of Life and would have lived forever, according to Genesis 3.22. Had Adam not sinned, mankind would have continued in fulfilling God's command to them to rule and reign over the earth. 
Mankind would have continued to live in harmony with our triune God in his presence and experienced the ongoing blessing of his presence. And now, because of what Christ has done, we have the blessing of being co-heirs with him to the restoration of all things in the future. Reigning with Christ, living with the Lord, continuing on, remaining with him immortally. Because of what he has accomplished, we will be like him. This is the future hope that we have as co-heirs of Christ. This is the glorious truth of our identity as co-heirs. We look forward to this inheritance. Here's where our hope and our comfort and our peace should rest. Our future inheritance is, is where Jesus comforted his disciples. This is the living hope, according to Peter, 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. But the Lord is, is powerfully holding our eternal destiny securely in his hand. Because of our faith in Christ, he is protecting our future. That's the certain hope that we have to look forward to. Paul explains our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. Our eternal inheritance in Christ is what we are to be thinking on. It's what, what should fill our minds as we think on that which is above. Day by day as we are on this earth, our minds should be elsewhere. Our minds should be on our citizenship. That we are, we are not home, but we can't wait to get there. But we're, we're often so myopic in our focus we only see what's going on right in front of our faces. All the time neglecting what is to come. The call of scripture is to fix our attention not here. But on the certain hope of the promises of God that will come to pass in the future. We're to, to live today in light of eternity. Our minds are to be set on the things above. Things yet to come. This has always been the hope for the faithful saints who, who have followed the Lord. King David said in Psalm 39, 7, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. He recognized even before the coming of Christ, the only hope in this life is in what God is going to bring about. We wait for what God is going to bring about. So, beloved, may you be a bright beacon of light in this world not because of how great you are, but because of how great he is and because your attention is fixed on what's to come. Let your choices be guided not by how they will benefit you in this world, but by how they will benefit you in the life to come. 
Don't look only back at the cross of Christ, but look ahead to the coming of Christ in the future. Be motivated by the reality that at any moment, our Lord might come call you home. At any moment. So don't be overwhelmed by the difficulties that you undoubtedly face in this life. Don't be discouraged by the trials that come your way. Be encouraged, be hopeful, be rejoicing be for, for the, the triumphant days ahead that we can't even fully comprehend. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Fix your eyes on those eternal things. Don't be overwhelmed and distracted by this world. You are a co-heir of Christ, promised a certain eternal inheritance that God has powerfully secured for you. Look to that hope. In Revelation 22, we find the final words of Christ recorded in Scripture. It's a call to live today in light of what's to come. He says, behold, I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do look eagerly and expectantly toward that awesome day when you will appear. That great day when we will be resurrected, our bodies transformed into your likeness. We look forward to that day when we will shout with great rejoicing at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we are united together as your body, the church, with you. We look ahead, Lord, to when we will dwell with you in your presence. We praise you, God, for all that you have already accomplished and all that is still yet to be accomplished. Thank you for your word that you have revealed to us these things. Pray, God, that we would meditate on them. Let them be, let them be what drives us throughout the day, that we would long to put your glory on display because we will one day be like you. So be exalted in us today and pray as we sing now, Father, that you would receive our praise, that it would not merely be words that come from our mouths, but that it would be the meditation of our heart that overflows with great rejoicing. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.